I'm Christina Gerakides, co-CEO of Singularity U Australia and committed to making the seemingly impossible possible. Singularity U Australia stands at the intersection of the values of humanity with the value of technology. Inspire for Five is a place where we have conversations with inspirational entrepreneurs, community leaders and representatives of organisations who are boldly creating a future by design. The good, the bad, the warts and the inspiration. We are leading the way to be the change we want to see in the world. Conversations that bring to light the magic that is happening on a daily basis all over the globe. Welcome everybody to episode one of series two of our Inspire for Five Singularity U Australia podcast. Today we are really excited to welcome Dr. Robert Laidlaw, who's the founder of Secure Health Chain, a digital startup working out of Sydney. So welcome Dr. Robert, how are you today? Thanks very much, Christina. I'd just like to start by acknowledging the Awabakal land and the Gadigal and Eurora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects for the elders both past and present and wherever our, our listeners are located. Thank you very much for doing that. That's very much appreciated. Um, so just give us a bit of a background on the startup that you're organising before we actually go into the, into the five points of inspiration, which we'll, we'll let our listeners know where we're going with that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, a bit of background? Yes, we've got a digital health startup that's taking patient data and trying to accelerate the things that we can do with the data. So we think there's lots of data being created, but it really just sits in servers in the bottom of hospitals and never put to good use. Um, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning really needs that fuel to drive the algorithms and we're trying to make that process friction free. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, everybody talk, is starting to talk, not talking, everybody is starting to talk about data um, and how we can use it. But I think there's a hesitation or people aren't really sure how to go forward with it. And I love um, every single one of the topics that we're about to talk, talk about. You're going to talk about five disruptive digital health technologies, creating a healthier post-COVID health system. Uh, and we had a brief discussion earlier about how these things were slowly trickling in, but because of COVID-19 have been, you know, pushed on fast forward warp speed. Um, so maybe if we start with number one, you mentioned number one was telehealth. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have actually now used telehealth, but how, how have you, what have you noticed with telehealth and um, how has it affected your startup? I mean, I think if it was only six months ago, um, I have a recycled joke that I say at every webinar that, that telehealth's had more pilots than Qantas, although that's probably not appropriate at the moment given yeah. the state that Qantas is in. But, you know, regardless, telehealth really has gone from zero to 100 overnight and really it couldn't make me happier. It's, it's a really great thing that's happened. About 0.1% of consultations were done with doctors and, and patients before COVID and now um, that number is, you know, over 100 times higher. Um, We've found that the government's putting like about $2 billion to try and fund telehealth yep. in Australia, which is fantastic. Um, initially, it was just for GPs doing consultations. Um, it's expanded to specialists now, which is great. Um, I've got colleagues like down at Illawarra Neurosurgery down in Wollongong. Um, they've opened up their doors to do all of their consultations online, which you can imagine for some of the older people, that is a bit challenging. But, you know, it's, it's credit to them that they've been agile enough to change their, their patient care like that. Um, there's been new MBS codes from the federal government that's allowed doctors to be paid, which is good. Um, I guess my only concern would be that 
they really, at the moment, they're just flagged as temporary measures. So um, come the 30th of September at this stage, they're all going to sort of finish. Um, and I worry that we'll probably slip into old habits potentially. Although I think I think there's some dentists. We've got some um, some clients that are dentists, and they're they've been given numbers as well. So they've been given the Medicare numbers. They've been doing some consultation um, via via telehealth. But I think also telehealth is, has something that's opened up uh, more services for people in inland and rural areas where maybe doctors, hospitals, etc., weren't as accessible. Um, what's your startup had to do with with that? So as startups, uh, whilst data is our primary focus, um, part of that we want to try and encourage digital health. That's very much our mantra. And we've built a, a digital health passport, which sits on your smartphone. It's a single safe place for all of your information to stay. You can share that with your doctor. Um, one of my other hats that I wear, I'm the North Sydney Bears rugby team's club doctor. And so I'm, I'm, the players will have a, a, a passport that I can do a consultation on telehealth I can prescribe the medication. Um, I've got a lady that I'm speaking to about her results this afternoon. I'll post them on there. Um, it's a way of digitally documenting all of the things that happen, keeping them safe. So um, it's a free app that we, we build just to try and encourage digital health. But it's not just doctors too, though. I'd say it's, it's obviously there's been a big uh, announcement about mental health. Um, got a lot of colleagues that are working in telehealth for mental health. Um, and then there's allied health. Um, and, and nursing staff and things as well. I think, yeah, I, it's made everything so much more accessible. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, the second disruptive digital health technology that you mentioned earlier um, is the contact tracing app. Uh, and as you mentioned before, Australia was a very early adopter. Um, what have been your findings? And, yeah, and the uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I take my hat off to the Australian government for, for jumping on this quickly. Um, you know, there's probably no country really around the world that moved as quick as they did to, to make a solution locally. I think looking around the world, though, um, it's historic really to have Apple and Google, the two biggest technology companies, or almost two biggest, um, coming together to build infrastructure really at a base level that's going to allow contact tracing to work much better. And so I guess, you know, in retrospect, it's always easy in retrospect, you could say that Perhaps there's some flaws with the app now with connectivity um, and, you know, maybe they should, could be open to looking at other options by using that as well. Um, yeah. Where have you found the best? What are the examples of the best um, best practices with contact tracing? Because I know lots of countries around the world have taken it up and I'm not, not necessarily looking for specific countries to be named, but what are the, the attributes um, that we could potentially adopt? Like just say we've done iteration number one, um, what would iteration two, three, four, et cetera, look like um, adopting best practice from other um, examples that you've seen? Yeah, so I think it's, it's always a trade-off between, you know, privacy and security um, and, and, and how good a solution is. And look, to be honest, there's no right answer as to what is the best solution. Uh, I think it's clear though that apps or solutions that use location-based data um, are probably, probably more useful. Um, and that can be done just using GPS data that's sent to the cloud, but it could also be done automatically by triangulating through cell towers. Um, and there's pros and cons for, for each of them in terms of privacy. Um, even other solutions that are more simple, like scanning a QR code when you go to a venue, you've probably seen that, certainly I've seen that around restaurants around here, they have a QR code where you register. Um, and so I think you know, th there's different ways. That, so QR codes, location-based, and obviously the Bluetooth is a solution that we're using at the moment, um, albeit not an ideal one. 
It's really exciting actually watching all the technologies because we're always talking about the convergence of technologies. So it's not really looking at anything in isolation. It's how can you bring A to work with B to work with C. It's a bit like collaboration of humanity and humans. Hmm. Um, now we're looking at the collaboration of different technologies, if you like. So it's that convergence that's making all this possible. That's making it much more effective. There was a, a solution called Rebuild the Chain that was out of Dubai that's, I think, been deployed in Brazil. Um, and they use location and Bluetooth, but I think they, they also use what's called geofencing, where you can have a hotspot area that the government would nominate, and then people using their location data can't really enter it without receiving a warning. Um, and I think it's, I think that sort of customizing to the problem is really important. I think having one size fits all for a whole suburb, state, or even country is, is not really going to be acceptable as we move forward. As things wind back, people are going to demand to have some freedom. And so I think that's where technology is going to have a really great, exciting role. Yeah. Um, so moving on to AI and the application of AI, you've got some really interesting um, examples of what's been going on in that field in Australia and globally. Can you share some of those with us? Because I think that's like number four AI. Again, we don't know what the capacity really is. And it's fantastic that you're doing the work in it. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's a huge area, but just looking specifically mid tech, in the realm of COVID, which still is a big area, mind you. Um, early in the pandemic in Wuhan, a lot of computer scientists did a lot of work analyzing search traffic, just using purely using algorithms and software, um, no Bluetooth, no GPS, just purely auditing existing data sets. Now, obviously there are privacy concerns over there, but that aside, um, they're able to identify something like 80,000 people that are at really high risk of being in close proximity to people and able to get them tested and, and treated and isolated um, and just purely using software to do that, which I think is really exciting. Um, I think another, another part is medical imaging. Now medical imaging has been much, it's been a bit of a dark night in the uh, artificial intelligence world. Like a lot of radiologists don't really believe in it. Um, whilst it's the perfect machine learning problem, really, you can take a large data set and train it very easily, objectively. But I think we've really seen a use case now that's been really beneficial to the community. And so chest CTs, for example, um, it's the, we call it the novel coronavirus, which you know, is the new coronavirus for a reason. And so it's not in any textbooks, the, the radiographic signs of the disease. So it's difficult for a, a, even a fully qualified experienced radiologist to recognize them and make a diagnosis. And yeah. so in Wuhan, they're able to take you know, a bunch of chest CTs in people that were known to have the disease and build machine learning algorithms quite quickly and really effectively with quite high sensitivity and specificity. Um, and I guess another thing that's slightly off the track to that is that it was really great to see how, you know, they're very open to sharing the code around the world. Um, they didn't just build that for them or charge money for it. They sort of, um, the pandemic's really brought out, I think, the best in, in a lot of tech communities. Um, I know the Italian government also open sourced a really large data set of um, chest x-rays and, and again, chest CTs of positive cases to allow people to, to build on. Um, and that's something we haven't really seen before, that collaborative approach to data. And that kind of leads us really nicely, um, Robert, into, into number four, which is the fourth inspirational disruptive technology um, in the health arena post, or, you know, in, during COVID and what's been brought out, um, which is blockchain. And I'm absolutely fascinated by the discussion that we had earlier. 
because I'm in love with blockchain. I think it's just starting to come into its, um, into its own, but I had never thought about it in the terms that you're about to discuss it in. So Blockchain. I think we would preface it by saying no cryptocurrencies allowed in this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> the bane of my existence defending yeah. it against them. Look, I think it's, it really is an enabler across lots of different verticals, blockchain. So it's not really a solution by itself. And so giving some good examples. Now, please cut me off because I could talk about this for the next couple of hours. This is my, uh, my joy, my passion. But I think that the really important ones that are relevant to what we're talking about is, is drug discovery or vaccine discovery. Um, uh, obviously that's everyone's talking about when's the vaccine coming when's it coming and all that sort of thing but uh, last year there was a group of the world's top 10 pharmaceutical companies that came together and formed a consortium called Melody it was an 18 million euro project mm. and essentially they were able to combine all of their research data because you can imagine um, you do a, a study about a drug and you collect just huge amounts of information, but it's usually quite specific what you need or what you use. And most of it just gets thrown in the bin or, or not used again. And so by bringing all of these large companies together, um, blockchain is able to enable them to, to share all of the data in a distributed fashion. And so, you know, the numbers are mind boggling that they have now data on 10 billion different molecules. Wow. Simulated tests, mm. have hundreds of terabytes of, of research data. That's all available to all of the companies. But most importantly, and this is where the blockchain is actually used, all of the really precious, sensitive company IPs protected from, you know, GSK can't look at Pfizer's, you know, uh, methods and things like that, but they can use the data. And so I think that's really exciting. I think that's something that we'll hopefully see more and more in health and science more generally, this, this sharing of data, this working together, because I think we're much stronger together than against each other. And we know that, you know, we, like, don't we know that just throughout history that we are better yeah. together than, than acting on our own? That is absolutely phenomenal and such an inspiring thing to know there's that many people working together around the world. And that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. There's probably many more people that are, you know, on, on the sides um, that are assisting them. So to know that, that that is collectively humanity is absolutely awesome. So we just want more of that awesomeness happening. Um, so number five, technology is something that, as you said earlier, has been around for, you know, at least a decade, 3D printing. How are we seeing that come into the fore now? Yeah, so 3D printing is, um, I often say it's one of those things, much like telehealth, that's sort of been around for quite a while, but not really getting any traction. Um, kind of like having, you know, building a solution and then working out what a problem is to try and make money. Um, I can say in my days of being a, a neurosurgery trainee, we used to 3D print implants and put them into the spine um, at great cost, I might add, to lots of different stakeholders. And I think the benefit there quite is questionable at best. Um, and for the first time, though, we've been able to have a really great use case. We've needed ventilators because people can't breathe and are dying, and we've been able to 3D print them. Mm. And so that's been really, really encouraging. Um, the sky's the limit for what we can print masks, um, swabs, any type of medical equipment. Um, you know, I, I would love to talk about supply chains and stuff. Obviously, Australia, it's been a bit of an issue, our reliance on overseas things, but, you know, we've been able to 3D print lots of the things that we couldn't have, albeit not at the scale of importing it. Um, and uh, again, looking at the open sourcing of things, um, there's a lot of, there's a company called Materialize, I saw that has built um, touchless door handles um, just to try and prevent people touching door handles, as you 
as the name suggests, and they've open sourced it. It's the instructions for the printer are uh, freely available. I'll leave a, a link in the show notes. You can download that. If you have a 3D printer at home, you can print yourself a, a touchless door handle if you like. But, you know, I think um, we're, we're starting to see some really great use cases for 3D printing. So I think that's quite encouraging. And that, that whole open source is just a, a remarkable thing. I, I remember um, inviting three young professors from the University of Newcastle and they'd, they had open sourced, I think it was something like the machine cost a million dollars, a, a DNA, um, um, almost a hologram, DNA hologram sort of machine cost about a million dollars. They open sourced it and they built it for about $70,000. So the capacity of what open source is going to give us around every single one of those technologies that you spoke about, really, you know, we could, we can use open source for AI, for blockchain, for 3D printing. So how, how are you in the practice of open sourcing? Are you part of those, any of those communities that are using open source? So certainly we use some software that, that is open source. Um, none of our software has been made open source yet. Um, look, I think whilst I'm a big supporter of open source stuff, I think, um, in early stage startups, it has its challenges for lots of reasons, um, but it's certainly something that is part of our roadmap that we'll definitely be doing in the next sort of 18 months. Yeah. Fantastic. Dr. Robert Laidlaw, it has been very inspirational hearing about all these, um, the products and the, and the way that we're using data technology to move forward. And as we said right at the beginning, it's, you know, COVID's kind of given us a shove um, to make us use everything faster. Just before we kind of wrap the podcast, what are, you, what are your thoughts about where, where this all might, and it won't end up because there is no end, but where do you think the next steps are? I, I mean, honestly, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I am a bit biased, but I must say, there's never been a more exciting time to be working in digital health. It's, um, you know, the amount of capital that's flowing now in, in VCs, investing in startups and, and R&D is fantastic. Um, there's never been a more time where it's important and, and that evident to people watching. So um, I think anyone listening at home or, or on a podcast, get involved. Um, we'd love to get you involved with our company or, the, or one of the other digital health startups that's around the globe. Um, there's never been a more important time to be in digital health. Um, what's your web address? We'll put it in the chat, but just do you want to say what your web address is? So, uh, so yeah, so company is secure.health. Secure.health and your email address. Is there an info at secure.health? There is, yeah. Okay, awesome. And we'll put all those in the show notes. Look, thank you so much for taking time to talk us through, you know, disruptive. I mean, we're all about the disruption. And I think what we, what, um, happens at the end of the disruptive phase is the demonetization, democratization. So these things, the, the expensive things will become cheaper and then we'll, we'll have to bring out the new, the new news, whatever they, they're going to be. Um, it is a really exciting time um, in your field and I would love you to come back and speak to us again when you've got further things to, to discuss with us. So love to welcome you back. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks very much, Christina, for inviting me and having me on your show. I've been a, a long-time fan of the show, so it's a, an honour and a privilege. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Join us for the next episode, which will be episode number two of Series 2 in Spy for Five shortly. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Inspire for Five, the Singularity U Australia podcast. We look forward to your company again on the next podcast. And in the meantime, we'd like to give a big shout out to our founding partner, Deloitte.